Well, hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend to choose a story and nominate their five favourite things about it. I commentate along and see if I can guess during that commentary what those favourite things will be. Hello, Toby. Thank you so much for inviting me to your Happy Times and Places podcast. I feel very privileged. My name is Millie. I'm a Kiwi. Um, I am mostly known on Twitter for creating polymer clay sculptures of Doctor Who figures. You can find me at Cowbear Creates and you can also find me on Instagram at Cowbear Creations. T- uh, today, Toby, I would really love you to please watch my very first episode of Doctor Who. If I'll take you back to 2014, I believe it was, I would have been 35 years old. Uh, my first episode of Doctor Who at 35, that is interesting considering most people tend to watch it as children. I know that my brother watched it when I was a child. I probably was in the room at some times and I must have absorbed some of it because I knew the theme tune, I knew the concept of the Doctor, I knew what a TARDIS was and what a Dalek was. But other than that, I have no memory of ever watching an episode. So when I stumbled across it in 2014, at an interesting period in my life, it was between I just finished 15 months of chemo for breast cancer and I was just about to get the call from my dad saying that my mum had been taken to hospital and that was the start of a two year long road of mum's deterioration before her eventual passing in 2016. So at this moment I was sitting on my couch feeling pretty happy because I had just installed uh, Sky, the satellite dish, so I could finally see the Uh, TV channel that Doctor Who was showing on. I sat down, I watched the very first episode of A Brand New Doctor and I got so excited and I thought this is it, I'm gonna love this forever. And that episode is Deep Breath. Hello everybody, welcome to Happy Times and Places. I am delighted that Millie McKenzie, whom I have never met, we're separated by half the world away, but uh, in one of those lovely things of modern life is that you can feel you kind of know somebody well I mean in this case through their work really but through the connections of social media and uh, the fact that you know we're all at the touch of a button but we've never had a conversation we've barely had a typed conversation but um, I'm beguiled by Millie's work and uh, if this is you know always first as an audio and always most distributed as an audio and you know it will take me a while to get the videos together which is a shame because Millie has done a video where she is surrounded by her beautiful brilliant work um, and anyone that uh, is Millie's age who has a Barbara as your taxa um, minifigure of her own creation over her shoulder is all right in my book I, I really like her work so she since she's recorded that I've noticed because I just, um, you know, uh, just had a look at her feed to um, make sure that I had a link and details ready for for the end of the show. Um, I've noticed that she has 
she is now going as Camille McKenzie, but I think that's because I typed in Millie McKenzie and there's a WWF, no, that's World Wildlife Foundation, WWE, the wrestling ones, there's a Millie McKenzie. So I don't know if it's to avoid confusion with that or whether, you know, sometimes we just um, change our names or how we prefer to be addressed or whatever. But anyway, um, so don't be confused by that. But uh, I will give her a tweet handle and everything like that at the end of the episode. It's just a joy when her work sort of comes into one's orbit. Uh, and I love create. I love anything uh, Doctor Who related that has that is as the result of the show inspiring creativity and endeavor. And I'm not artistic at all. I wish I could, but I. Um, you know, make something with clay or uh, mould something or even draw something. But uh, my my hands will not do what my eyes... Well, my eyes do not end up seeing what my brain has told my hands to do in the way that I imagine them in my mind. I would love that gift to be able to... I mean, at least even make something even, even if it didn't look like, um, you know, the face I was trying to make, if it looked like a face that hadn't been, you know, created by... Piano, it was Picasso, but the result of a Picasso car crash. Um, but no, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I can't even, you know, ice a cake without it being lopsided. I, it's a real shame um, that I don't have, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't make anything kind of even. So, um, but I, you know, what I do is I, I talk, and it's debatable whether. Um, I can kind of make that work either, but this is what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and talk through deep breath. It's a 76-minute episode of Doctor Who. It is the beginning of the Peter Capaldi era, and Millie has explained why it was at a, an extremely important and strange time in her life. For me, my life had slightly changed as well. I was getting used to uh, a new environment. I have to confess... I did watch this episode. I'd been I'd been to Pride, which is a big Manchester uh, event, and um, Coronation Street always have a float, and uh, also floating about is lots of free booze. And it was in the days when uh, I was drinking, and uh, I remember heading back early as the conviviality continued because I wanted to watch Doctor Who, but I was a bit hammered. And uh, I'm not sure the episode has ever quite recovered from me because I wasn't actually in the right frame of mind to be watching it. And uh, so I don't know if I quite have an angle on this episode. Uh, and I hope I sort of get to know it better whilst talking all the way through it. Ha <laughs> ha uh, As we go through it together, looking, as Millie and I have been charged to do by the remit of this podcast, for five things that we love about it. And let's see if we can choose the same five things or if I can at least match the majority of mine with her, in which case I will win. And if not, uh, I will lose and I will consign, be consigned to be being uh, a clay parody of my own visage that is nonetheless charming. Uh, I, 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 I cannot explain how charming it is to see these slightly... Um, caricature is the wrong word. I don't know what... But, but, but they're... Because they're not... You know, they're not naturalistic redesigns. They're sort of, they're sort of slightly childy, um, it, it sort of innocent, charming, beguiling um, r renditions, creations, almost cartoony, uh, and yet with their own sort of essence of truth and 
character about them. They're really they're really lovely, and you do and she does that all in mini clay. I think it's delightful. Um, anyway, uh, let's see what happens when Peter Capaldi's Doctor takes his first deep breath, and I'm going to press play in three, two, one. Uh, oh yes, the dinosaur. Now, some people I know talk about the dinosaur is in the wrong proportion or the the wrong size, but I love that. You know, Big Ben is always great in Doctor Who. I don't know why. Uh, is he is he too big? Is he too big to be big by Big Ben? Don't they address that though? Don't they address that he's too big? Um, I don't know. It looks fine to me. Um, don't write in. I don't care. Uh, it's a it's a dinosaur. Going past Big Ben and the House of, House of Parliament, I love that. I was just by there actually. We've just been there last week, uh, and I'd got it into my head that Paul Hickey here, who's a fine actor, um, and uh, Neve McIntosh is excellent as Madame Bastra, um, but Paul Hickey was playing Inspector Abilene, um, who is the guy that uh, investigated the Jack the Ripper murders. And I know in a later stories, in a Good Man Goes to War, Vastra writes a letter to Inspector Abilene, but I. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'd got it into my head uh, that, that that was Inspector Abilene, because it's not, is it? Um, I, I th uh, by the way, it, uh, we take in our stride now how good the special effects in Doctor Who are. We, we've had dinosaurs in Doctor Who before, and it's never gone particularly well. Uh, ah, don't we love the TARDIS? Um, great landing. Uh, the TARDIS being spat out next to Big Ben, next to the Thames. I, I do like, because of course this is the time period. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, I suppose, this is the, the closest we get to evoking, you know, something like the Talons of Wang Chiang, which is, you know, production-wise, a, a fantastic mix for Doctor Who, is that it's doing all the great stuff that the BBC costume and set design department can do at the, the BBC of that time. Uh and uh and you know it has that sort of that that gothic that holmesian thing because this is um there aren't those sherlock holmes references in this either but oddly uh, i don't think i haven't i don't think of it in that way it's it's only sort of occurring to me now and here we are you know by the by the river and there's all that sort of lovely stuff in talons of wang chang with the the boat hook and uh and all of that so um I wonder why I don't think of this being a Doctor Who set in that time period. Perhaps there are there are other headlines. One of which is, of course, this is the final appearance of the Paternoster Gang, and I remember Doctor Who magazine saying, uh, "Yeah, yeah, the, you know these guys are back, who were you know very popular with fandom, and I like them very much." Um, but perhaps you know it's time that we drew a line under them, and indeed they they have not come back since and it is a bit like robot isn't it where it's sort of almost like some relics from the the previous era have come to start the new era now that's not a bad thing to do production wise to convince the viewers that they're watching the same program um john elledge does a a a, a very nice um uh, blog where he alternates reviewing uh, a, a, an old uh, a classic who and a new who but he, do, he does them in order um, but it means you get interesting juxtapositions between sort of relatively where the new series is compared to where the old series is um uh which you know which is quite a you know you view two stories close together that you otherwise might might not or perspectives on on stories because he's watching the two series develop at the same 
sort of pace. Um, uh, and he, he's, I've reading him about Robot, where he says it's kind of like a pilot for a series that never happened. And in a way, um, you know, yeah, seeing seeing the Capaldi Doctor with the Paternoster Gang is is a bit like seeing Tom Baker with you know the Brigadier and and uh, and Sergeant Benton. Um, I I think a Tyrannosaurus Rex next to Big Ben is a hugely Doctor Who-y thing. <laughs> That's, I, I, I have to say. Um, and, uh, and of course, here we have Peter Capaldi. I remember how uh, excited uh, I had been that uh, Pete, when, when, when Peter Capaldi was, uh, was announced as the Doctor. Um, we'd, we'd heard a rumour uh, and uh, I went round to the house of Steve Roberts of the restoration team, uh, who I lived very close to at the time. And I'd been away gigging, so I, I know I was back that day. And we had a bottle of pink fizz, I think. Uh, Steve and Sue and Peter, my friend. Uh, and we watched this this revealing of who was to be the new Doctor. And... Uh, I think various comedians were wheeled out who I don't think had ever watched Doctor Who. So my, uh, <laughs> or a few talking heads, they were like, you go, you, you'd hope, you know, there's part of you that goes, I've been at the West End and done a solely nominated radio series where hopefully I've proved that I know my Doctor Who and can broadcast in a funny way about Doctor Who. And they go, yeah, but we're going to get Bruno Tonioli on. <laughs> you go, really? And that's sadly how television works. Now, it's not my dream to be... But but I don't know. I suppose I I do all the stuff in the sort of wings and in the peripheral. It would nice be nice to get one of the prime time gigs every now and then. But I think I'm partially feeling that because um, I've just been told to sod off by somebody else as well um, for being too niche. <laughs> I think also maybe too old. But uh, anyway, let's not get into that. But well, I'll tie that into the fact that we have an old Doctor Who, and this was very exciting for me. Just in the same way that Donna Noble was a, an older woman uh, who wasn't you know of the of, of the, the, the the from of the kind of um sort of age and look and vibe and everything of of your traditional companion she's a you know she's a ordinary woman and uh uh, uh you know what I, you, you know what I'm saying. She's not she's not a sexy young thing, and that's not to that, that's not a value judgment when I say that. And I was I was uh, thrilled that Catherine Tate and Donna became a a heroine for whole um, generation of kids who 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 we'd you know who whose Doctor Who heroines had been younger in inverted commas, prettier, you know, trendier, more modern, blah, blah, blah. And, and it kind of proves, well, that we don't have to do that, that we don't have to go, it can only be, you know, I mean, Jenna Coleman is a fantastic actress and also st stunningly beautiful woman. Uh, but, but do, you know, do, do, are all our TV heroes good looking because they have to be, because we won't watch otherwise? Well, um, uh, and, you know, will young people only watch young people? Uh, well, young people watch Sarah Jane Adventures. So I was really excited that Doctor Who, having gone down the path, having, you know, had Eccleston, who was interested in casting because he wasn't the sort of dandified, oh, heavens to Betsy, where has the old girl taken me now? And that was brave and, you know, 
uh, and yet worked totally as as Doctor Who. Uh, and then we went for Tennant, who you know is still, I think, probably the you know he's the Tom Baker equivalent of the of the newer Doctors. Um, uh, but you know, young, uh, but not as young as Matt Smith, who was young, young, young. And then so part of you is going, oh God, have we established now that it can only be a young actor, or or you know, is that is that how it's going to go now? Um, and no because they went for Peter Capaldi. Uh, so uh, that was very exciting for me, but exciting for me because I'm getting older. And I remember there was that YouTube clip, wasn't there, at the reveal of the who was going to be the new Doctor, and it was this this young girl was watching who'd, you know, I think for whom Matt Smith had been a bit of a hottie, uh, who watched this reveal. I've never found out whether it's a spoof or not, uh, who, who sees this sort of... Uh, you know, wiry old geezer walk on and goes, "Oh God, he's disgusting! I'm not." Um, and oh, how we mocked her um, because why would you judge by appearances? Which, of course, is something that we all we all do. And that, you know, there is an argument if you want somebody to be uh, a hero for young people, they want an, an identification figure. My, I, I think there's something, uh, and we have a young doctor coming now who I, as an older guy, am really excited by and really thrilled and turned on by as an idea. But, but, but that's partially because he seems to have quite an old soul, uh, but also just because he, he seems quite doctorish without actually being like any of the previous doctors. So I'm very excited about Shuti Gatwa. Um, uh, Capaldi, I think because he's such a good actor and we also knew he was a fan uh, and also had been so extraordinary as Malcolm Tucker. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot of excitement in this. But then this, the, and, and I'm loving the, I'm still loving the dinosaur uh, wandering around, uh, <laughs> wandering around that there London. Um, uh and uh, and yet you you have this this very tricky thing, don't you, of uh, of having the Doctor unconscious, which works very very well in the Christmas Invasion, which I've done very recently, because the Doctor sort of wakes up and has the hero moment, and uh, oh and yeah, that's of course we have. Um... <laughs> I love our our. Sapphic Victorian lizard and ninja couple. <laughs> ninja maid and sapphic lizard. Well, sapphic ninja maid too. Um, but it, I, yeah, was I suppose it probably was right to for, for for them to sort of disappear off into big finish or whatever. But I'm I'm sort of rather sad that because I do like those characters um, and I, I and I. And I, I like Strax, but I can understand people who feel that Strax has maybe then diluted the effectiveness of the Sontarans because Strax is so funny. Dan Starkey is a very talented performer and a very witty man with great comic timing. Also, brilliant voice man. I've done some uh, audio with Dan. And when they sort of say... Um, you know, can you know all of you do different background voices now? Even even those that he does, are so pitch perfect. It does. I remember him doing one in one that we did where he very suddenly old man steptoe as some sort of lord in the background or whatever. But his he's really understands 
I don't know if he has. We have discussed different acts and stuff. I don't know if he studied phonetics and that sort of thing, but he he knows it. He's he's absolutely on point with it, with different accents and different timbres and 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 sort of vocal mannerisms. Very talented guy is uh, Mr. Starkey, but he's also a great comedian, and uh, I I think they must have taken their lead from Dan's wit. Um, to kind of do this stuff with, you know, can I, is that a hat and all that? And, and the fact calling Clara boy and all of that. And uh, uh, and it is funny, but the Sontarans are scary monsters, or maybe they're not now. Maybe they're not now. Uh, here's Tony Way, who is one of those very fortunate actors. He does absolutely naff all in this, but you never think, oh, God, is he at hard times? Because he's Tony Way. He's that wonderful sort of Toby Jug caricatured face. And he's, you know, he's in um, Afterlife, isn't he, with Ricky Gervais? And, uh, and he's, I think he's in loads of different Ben Wheatley productions. Um, and he was in Game of Thrones. And he's got that brilliant sort of droopy-eyed... He's like the sort of Paul Brook who's a character actor who was in loads of stuff in the 80s and 90s uh, of, of today. And he's a really good actor. Also, really, really funny. He's a great comic actor. Um, and I love this um, when he says it's a gift. <laughs> and he says, I accept your gift. That's great Moffat writing of going, how can I see a word in a, in a way that makes absolutely great sense of that word, but completely turns it on its head? And that, that little piece of exchange... Um, to introduce the monster with these sort of peripheral characters. But you get that character, played by Tony Way, who's a great actor, um, uh, uh, who, who, who blesses us with his presence. But um, to do that, just that, and, and to do that thing, talking about his eyesight and saying it's a gift, uh, and then that introduces the monster and gives us a sort of horrible death moment and tells us something that we need to know about the monster man, all in a very, very short scene it's brilliant i mean that's what moffat is so so very very good at and the thing about tony way is that yeah you look at him and you go well it's not that he was he'd hit hard times it's that he could obviously fit a day in and uh, uh, uh and he's one of those actors that can s step in for a day and you just go well yeah, it's just tony way doing a cameo there i think i think most actors sadly when you end up doing a small part it's because you're just doing a small part but tony way has uh has uh I, I I think has got it as good as you can get if you're a character actor and all power to him because he seems to be in everything um, and doesn't always have to carry too much of the action but keeps busy. But then, you know, when he does get bigger parts, he's, uh, you know, when, when he plays bigger parts, he's, he's you know, ex you know extremely good and, and capable. And then his, uh, yeah, his status as a, a recognisable face and... Uh, a desired performer is not is not diluted when he just pops in for a day to uh, probably do something for you know his director mate Ben Wheatley who is big news I mean that's the one of the interesting things about the uh, uh, the Moffat era is that uh, you know he, he he does go for some names doesn't he with Simon Nye and Richard Curtis with the writing and uh, uh, and here we have you know but uh, I think there's a worry after that, you know, the success of the Matt Smith era and, and that had gone to America and, you know, he'd had quite a broad canvas that he told stories on and um, to, to, to sort of keep, 
to keep the momentum going because the show's been running a long time at this point. And, you know, I think as fans, you're just looking to go, is it going to lose its momentum? And, you know, are, are people, the general public, <laughs> in inverted commas, going to lose interest? And uh, and you've got this big, you know, movie director, Kill List. Uh, you know, Wheatley, Wheatley is, uh, you know, is, is a cinema director. And here we have... Uh, him doing, you know, the first, the opening instalments of this new Doctor. Uh, Vastra really works as this uh, sort of S Scottish widow. She's a Scottish widow, isn't she? Ha 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 And all of this writing that Moffat does with the, with the veil and all of that is very, it's, you know, it's a very clever, he's very good at these um, sort of meticulous puzzles of character uh where you know conversations are, are, are a bit like a sort of a bit like a, a a battle or a or yeah or a puzzle um and indeed look the doctor's there doing a doing a, a puzzle on the floor i remember the late a a gill who was uh, one of the those television critics who seemed to have i mean i think he got the television critics people say oh yes but he was from television because his mum was the french lady in uh, <laughs> in faulty towers um i think his dad worked to television as well but but i i always find it the television critics seem seem to write about television as though it's something that they've trodden in rather than something that they're writing about because they're passionate about it and and if they're somehow you know they're bestowing television with the uh, the the kindness of their scrutiny um uh, the uh, the veil's gone up by the way um <laughs> uh and uh ah <laughs> oh, jenny um and uh and i remember aa gill saying that uh, yeah and uh, peter capaldi looks really uncomfortable to me one that's a terrible review of some acting even the worst actor in the world is able to act the character they're acting even if they're slightly embarrassed about what it is they're doing that's a that's a total critic imposing their view of the program onto the performer uh and it's easy to do that as a critic because you can make any inference you like about an actor really oh, looked uncomfortable to be there he's playing a part uh th th there's no way his uncomfortability would ever creep through his performance you have completely plastered that on yourself lazy bad criticism um and 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 from that sort of well i yeah i want to slag this program off can't quite articulate what i don't like about it so i'll 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 impose a feeling onto the actor themselves which wouldn't be true anyway because peter capaldi was a long time fan of doc two and delighted to be in it so what a load of old poppycock um uh, oh yes the 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 burning of the dinosaur it's it's a kind of it's a terrible moment um and and again comes at a, as a sort of tragic comic beat doesn't it um i love the atmosphere of all of this and the lighting is all very beautiful um but this the, i think this roof stuff really does sort of seem like it's uh you know in front of a in front of a blue screen i i, I remember being a bit ne never oh oh god that's that's mark kempner isn't it who i'd forgotten is in has been, had been in doctor who his daughter is suze kempner who is now a, a bit of a an internet sensation uh but suze is from a family of performers she's a brilliant singer and song impressionist uh and uh 
has done some voices for my podcast and is in Dick Dixon, uh, uh, 21st century, 22nd century, uh, that, uh, that Johnny Morris has written and I've directed. And it's got Kieran Hodgson and uh, Terry Malloy uh, and Dan Starkey in, and also Suze, who's a, a, a brilliant vocal performer and is doing well. She's a bit of a, as I say, a Twitter sensation. And that's her dad. Mark Kempner and there's Teddy Kempner who's also an actor who's a who's a uncle I think um but I'd forgotten he was in this I'd forgotten he'd been in Doctor Who um Susie's great she's tr- she's t- terrific gets it you know quite a one who takes on the 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 Twitterers I I don't go onto Twitter for a fight I th- I think Sue sometimes does um but I I remember I remember, and I like the look. I like the, uh, I like the bed shirt. But I remember that sort of sequence where he was on the horse and he was on the roof a bit of going. Oh, I don't know why this isn't quite working for me at the time. But as I say, I was. Uh, I, I think it may have been more to do with with me and where I I was at, and because I, I remember feeling a little bit deflated at the end of this. But I think it was because I was so excited. Because I love Moffat's writing, and I love Capaldi, and I'd love I'd love Matt Smith, um, but but I I was ready for a new injection of something. I think, and maybe it was because there was so much familiar in this. That that anyway, I did yeah, I did I did leave this with a bit of a as a as a as a as a bit of a damp squib. Alexa four. Um, I and I do prefer Capaldi with the longer hair. <laughs> um, and this angry doctor thing is interesting, isn't it? I think that thing about going, let's remind ourselves that the doctor is an alien. And I'd got a, oh, I'd got a friend writing on this because of course J- Jamie Matheson, uh, I've known for years as a as a comic, uh, and he tried to pitch to Doctor Who before. Uh, and I met him for coffee and we talked through a few ideas because um, he he knew his Doctor Who, but he knew I really knew my Doctor Who. Uh, and I don't think I was any help, but we we, we had a chat uh, and he was just saying, well, remind me, what's the story where this happened? I was like, oh, yeah, that was Castrovel. So he was just trying to get his, you know, rather than be sort of Googling and stuff, he was just trying to sort of talk talk about his memories and, and his feelings about who and my feelings about who. And, um, and I think I'd spoken to him and... Uh, he didn't give anything away, but he said there was a, you know, there was a feeling at those first read-throughs. That, oh, yeah, this is going to be absolutely amazing. So I think I'd built myself up for something extraordinary. Uh, and I think I, I probably had expectations that were slightly unfair. I love all this um, stuff on the bridge, though, with the orange sky because of the, the burning and... Um, and, and Clara is good enough to be off on her own and being independent. And he's actually, you know, be- becomes the sort of... She's the voice of reason, really, isn't she? She's. I mean, the companion's often the identification figure, but, but I remember this bit. This, this is very funny, isn't it? Doesn't he throw the newspaper up and smack her in the face? <laughs> um and there is something nice about seeing a Santara dressed as a butler. That's, you know, that's great Doctor Who. Um, oh, yeah, and melt him with acid. Oh, old habits, yeah. Which is, I th- you know, I think that's funny. 
Um, it it just depends on whether you want the Sontarans to. <laughs> that's fine. I think. I mean, I'm. Am I a great slap? I like the bits in bottom where they've hit each other over the head with frying pans. I like that smacking her in the face with a newspaper and her falling over. I just think that's funny. <laughs> and it's beautiful, the production design here, and, and all this period detail is lovely. Um, and I, the Paternoster Irregulars, you see, the Baker Street Irregulars, the, it is very Sherlock Holmesy. Doesn't Vastra say the 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 game's afoot and yeah and, she, and she's you know investigating crimes oh and the showrunner's the guy one of the guys behind sherlock so and maybe there's the, maybe there's a bit of that that you're thinking oh are the are the you know doctor who's not perhaps as as unique as it as it as it could be i don't know um but i'm watching this now and i think it's it's great uh it looks really good it's atmospheric it's funny um it's very it's being very brave with the doctor because he's still quite an enigma, but the Doctor should be a bit of an enigma. I think it was brave doing the alien thing, uh, do, you know, doing the not very dislikable thing. I think brave, and probably in retrospect, it didn't work. Uh, I hate to say that. Uh, be interested to see what Millie's thoughts are, but I, th I think the Capaldi Doctor worked better when he mellowed. Um, I mean, my favourite Capaldi season is the is the last one the bill potts nardole uh capaldi triumvirate i thought worked really well um and i just like the whole feel of that series um she's she's fantastic i was somebody on facebook was um talking about that that scene between her and the doctor in kill the moon uh, which I've already done for this happy times and places, and and that exchange is some of the, 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 the and they say you know that that exchange is it was Tom Spilsbury actually, um, who said you know is is there any better acting than that, uh, and uh, uh, it, it is one of the best acted scenes, and she is she is really really good. Um, I've also been listening today to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife and uh, Pete Lambert, very entertaining. Uh, and lovely Joey Ford talking about um, Moffat's writing, and and Pete is, you know, quite harsh on uh, sort of some of the the saucier, shall we say, uh, approach uh, to Moffat's humour, and and sort of the slightly sort of more juvenile in 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 parts. And uh, I don't want. Um, I don't particularly want sex to rear its complicated head in Doctor Who, but just because every other program is about sex and relationships and Doctor Who is not. And, that, and I felt safe from having to worry about such things in, in, in Doctor Who. But, you know, can a program last 60 years without going and uh, uh, exploring that? But I felt with, with Russell T. Davis that kind of had its cake and et it um, in that, it's it's sort of used the advantages of some of that sort of thing without ever uh consummating the the relationship between doctor who and sex if you like whereas i thought stephen moffat stuff is a bit happier to go there and his jokes are a bit although russell does i don't know i don't know i think stephen moffat suffers and i and i and i which is perhaps why i like the stuff that some people don't like is that when you do clever jokes, people think you're being smug. 
because your joke is clever and why would you put that out there unless you were very self-satisfied but that's a value judgment that we impose most people tell jokes just to try and make you laugh uh, and if you think of a clever joke, it's, you go, oh, great, that's quite fun. That's clever. Oh, people are like that. But we read that as going, uh, I think I'm really clever and here's a clever joke for you. Uh, and and it and we automatically, as I say, sort of imp impose our, uh, our preconceptions upon the deliverer of the joke, which I think is quite unfair, but it is something that, that people who do clever stuff get sort of tarred with and, and Moffat particularly and if you've ever met him he's actually extremely humble and extremely self-deprecating but his sense of humor which is very very clever makes it seem like he's he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he's a bit of a smart aleck but he's got a smart aleck sense of humor but that doesn't necessarily mean he's you know he's patronizing you uh delighted that Brian Miller uh plays the old man here I think that's a lovely nod to uh obviously um Elizabeth Sladen, who had recently passed away, she he is her widower, uh, but an excellent actor, and he was you know getting quite a lot of work at this time. He'd been in Line of Duty, um, uh, the first series of Line of Duty, and he popped up in a couple of other things, uh, and also has Doctor Who pedigree, of course. He's Dugdale in Snake Dance, and he's the Dalek voices in the the, the latter era of the show. Um, also a, a very highly regarded stage actor, he had a long run in The Woman in Black. Uh, in London, which is actually just about to close after many years. Um, oh, I should try and go and see that, actually. Um, it's currently got uh, Julian Forsyth in it, who's never been in Doctor Who, but he was a friend of Bernard Kay, spoke at Bernard Kay, my friend, the Doctor Who actor Bernard Kay's funeral. Anyway, all ties up. But I remember for years, um, at the turn of the century, um, the Guardian listings, it was always Brian Miller in, uh, uh, in, in The Woman in Black. Um, and it's it, interesting that it addresses that the Doctor is Scottish. Um, and I always like Stephen Moffat's Scottish jokes. I like the your Scottish fry something that he says to uh, Amy Pond. Um, and this is, the, um, I suppose the, the, the inference is that this is supposed to be, uh, you know, that he's going through post-regeneration trauma. But I'm not sure what we gain by the suggestion that the Doctor might try and nick an old man's coat. Um but I you know, I see what they're trying to do. Um, but yes, lovely to see Brian Miller. And I've forgotten I was able to go on. I was on, they showed this clip. I was on telly the next day. It was when they used to wheel me into um, BBC Breakfast to be Doctor Who correspondent. They had unpaid Doctor Who advisor to the BBC. Uh, and I dropped the uh, fact bomb of Brian Miller and Elizabeth Sladen. And you could see the two presenters going, right, okay, he knows a lot. <laughs> Whereas, of course, if you're a Doctor Who fan, that's not knowing a lot. That's just uh, that's just that's just Doctor Who 101. Uh, um, but yeah, my, I think my favourite sort of combination is, you know, aliens in, you know, Victorian Edwardian garb. You know, sort of recognisable history, but you know, so 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 not so long ago that we we can't recognise the the people as it were um that you know that, that the language might be slightly more proper um and and the manners slightly more genteel but there's still people we feel we could have a conversation with unlike say perhaps somebody from you know the iron age or whatever or somebody in a castle um but you know the finery and 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 all of that 
um, you know, we would find a little bit stiff and restrictive. But again, we we know what that stuff sort of feels like and and what it does to your posture. And and, and we've all sort of seen and maybe touched a a, a, a costume version at least. So it's sort of recognisable. But but we're not, you know it's just far enough away but also recognizable enough uh to then look like a perverted version of it when it's got a lizard woman in the costume or you know a sontaran in in the finery or whatever um this is yes this is clever i mean I love these hero shots that you do in modern television there. I always think of those as the, the, the you know, the, the sort of the one that, if, you know, if you're making an episode of Buffy, you go, oh, this is the one we can use for the title sequence. And that shot of Vastra was uh, was very like that. Um, I hope they're very happy, these uh, these characters. And I would I would be happy to see them again uh, because, you know, I like the idea of sort of Doctor Who's crime find crime crime-fighting uh, alien triumvirate of justice. Uh, but um, what's... So, and I remember the... Hadn't the... Um, the advertising campaign for this had been, you know, am I a good man? And that was going to be the theme. Uh, and, and, you know, she... Uh, she's i'm the doctor she's my carer she cares so i don't have to i don't know if that had been in the advertising campaign but you know that seemed to be that's a lovely cut from one scene to another looks amazing this doesn't it somebody somebody told me about something about how this was shot that meant it looked a certain way so look that up you could tell i'm the technical one i think because ben wheatley's ben wheatley he'd shot this in a particular way or on a particular lens or in a particular aspect ratio that meant it was a thing so uh, yeah so that's the kind of insight you look for <laughs> in these um and here he is here's doctor who uh and this is this is quite unnerving i remember um and of course the the, the whole point of a very first episode is that the doctor has to win the trust of the companion and so therefore us um so there's there's nothing wrong with us not knowing the doctor at this stage in the sense that we don't know david tennant partially because you know he's asleep and he takes a while to wake up but but with that you've got you know rose going you know this i knew this guy and now he's this totally other guy which which russell t davis of course very cleverly you know turns into a kind of relationship thing just when i get to know them they turn into somebody else bloody bloody blah, 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 blah um but matt smith of course starts oh forgive me uh, i may have gone sl my have gone a split second or two out of sync uh something went technically wrong there i've tried to match it up my my screen went blank anyway let's not worry about that um so yes these first adventures are about winning the companion if it's an extant companion and it i think it is always helpful when you have a you know a companion from a previous era to bridge the gap 
and well in, introduce you to the new doctor because if they convince the companion they kind of convince you it's a clever you know it's a clever way of seeding the new character in and of course Moffat prior to this has had to you know had the very unenviable task of prior to this he had to introduce an entirely new set of actors as the leads in the show for the first time ever uh and of course produced the 11th hour which is one of the best doctor who uh episodes and possibly i think the best doctor who intro uh that there is uh do i think that i think that today i think that right now um well that you know i think power of the daleks i would probably want to watch it well and then there's the first episode and actually yeah so i don't know maybe but the 11th hour is i remember thinking the 11th hour would probably be compromised because it had so much to do and ended up just being so thrilled by it uh it, it let's say it's a very good example and certainly uh, exceeded expectation whereas i i did feel slightly as i say slightly underwhelmed by this when it was first on which it had, it had felt a little slow and i'm not sure that it isn't uh is it, it does it justify it 76 minutes i i don't know now she look, she's great isn't she she's an absolutely fantastic actress and i totally believe her she, i totally believe uh and she, but she does anger she does sort of righteous irritation and stuff in, in a, without ever being dislikable um al although i as i say i was quite amused by the <laughs> the fact I I felt she should have perhaps left earlier than she did, um, and I'm not wild about my companions being enigmas that need to be solved. Um, yeah, so I'll be interested in when I revisit because this is a period of the show that I I kind of largely watched once, which is why I'm a bit nervous about doing commentaries on this period of the show because you know I can fall back on. Ah, here's an interesting fact about that guy third from the left. Uh, or when I watched this, uh, you, you know, I was doing this childhood thing that you all remember you doing as a child, but probably with a different story, but we could connect that way. Uh, here, I, here I was, uh, yeah, when I watched this, I was drunk, uh, which isn't its fault. Now, this is, this is typically... Um, Moffatty brilliance look at that uh, it's 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 reminiscent of the clockwork people from uh, uh, the girl in the fireplace of course but I love and that noise that's exactly the noise but that I like it when Moffat does the kind of stuff from the toy box um, but you know the old-fashioned toy box. I wonder if in the future they'll, you know, they'll. You could be terribly retro by having a GameCube of death, and we'll think, oh, uh, yes, because those old toys were much better toys, weren't they? But I love Moffat, sort of the dinky toy things in uh, in uh, the Beast Below, you know, and uh, uh, you know the the clockwork nature of the clockwork droids, um, and this the the sort of the eating but not eating, and that noise. Uh, I, I you know. I, I love that because it is it is like a it's like a wind up toy isn't it and it, that gives that great line in girl in the fireplace i'm not winding you up that noise is brilliant so simple when when scares are conjured through something as simple as noise uniform movement impassiveness 
things that look human but are slightly but are but are inhuman a, a sort of parody of flesh and blood and of animus uh is to me much more frightening than you know any big saber-toothed blood beast or whatever and i think moffat does that really really well makes sort of perverted versions of what we know and that to me is at the heart of what's great about doctor i can do one here though that person third from the left or actually in close up there the waiter is graham duff and graham duff is the writer of the tv comedy ideal i know graham uh I, I was about the only Manchester comedian that wasn't in Ideal, <laughs> but he does seem to like me. He he came he comes he used to come and see my sketch show, uh, and bought me lunch once in London, which I was very touched by, and uh, I owe him the favour. I've actually been in touch with him very recently, not about this, uh, about something else. And uh, Graham is a, a very accomplished actor and writer. Uh, and also a Doctor Who fan, but I think he knows Ben Wheatley. And I was like, you're, you're in Doctor Who? And he said, well, yeah, of course. But Graham, I had got into Doctor Who's... Um, uh, that's really creepy, isn't it? That And that's a very Moffat thing. So it's, we have a children's menu. I'd never know what that's going to be in a, in, in a Moffat world. <laughs> um uh, that Graham is on the commentary for The Time Monster, episode three. Because we had no money doing that commentary, uh, it was suggested we do a fan commentary. And we'd just done one on Monster Peladon 4. And I said, well, why don't we get fans who are professional writers? Because that will give us some sort of perspective. And we got Joe Lidster and Phil Ford, you know, p p people that I knew and or met at conventions or whatever. And I suggested Graham because Gra I knew Graham was a fan because we also needed people who would do it for free. Um, and... Uh, and and Graham, because he was writing Ideal, which was huge at the time, uh, and I think they did nine series in the end. Uh, and so they all came and did it. And I saw on a forum somebody said, "Well, what's this? Graham Duff? I don't even. Well, he's not got nothing to do with Doctor Who. Why is he on the commentary?" It's like cause it's not people who've written Doctor Who. It's professional. And I always think it's great to have perspectives. So if you're going to have a fan commentary, which you had to do because that Time Monster commentary had no money. Uh, it, I mean, it literally I did it for free. Um, because um, I don't want to talk too much about the time monster here, um, uh, but um, oh, that's so frustrating. Uh, we could give the sonic screwdriver. Um, but but so I was very pleased that Graham being on this now. Anybody that what listens to the time monster commentary go, they've got a writer that's never written for Doctor. Who. Yeah, but he is the waiter in Deep Breath, even though he did that after this, but after the time monster commentary. But he that as the one person on that track who who didn't have a direct connection to to doctor who um well i suppose phil ford had done he'd done uh wizards versus aliens and he'd done sarah jane adventures and he does into the dalek next so this this if this season did nothing else it made the writers line up on the commentary for the time monster episode three uh m more closely linked with doctor who <laughs> um and I really do think the odds here are very good. I, I really think you, you, you feel how the hell are they going to get out of this? Um, he, he really builds it up to a, God, these guys are really stuck. Um, and I think I was saying when it, when it went off, wasn't I, that I, yeah, I do love this period uh, as a setting for a Doctor Who story. A pseudo-historical is probably my favourite, favourite kind of Doctor Who just because I think it 
it has all the things that work for me. And I haven't mentioned, is he Peter Ferdinando, who I think is great as the sort of impassive, inscrutable, uh, half-faced man. Uh, it's a it's a great look. Um, and again, you know, the top hat and all that, that kind of, but he has, he, he does it quite impassively, but it is, it does make it kind of, kind of sad in a way, as well as being, you know, a spooky parody of humanity. Um, lighting in this is superb. Um, and look at those, yeah, the, the hands look dead and horrible. Um, that and that's a great idea of uh, yeah. I mean, it's a bit sort of original brain of Morbius, isn't it? It's Frankenstein's monster, um, and he's got a great face, hasn't he? Look, um, but and, and it kind of ties in. It's it's sort of almost Walking Dead, isn't it? And again, anything that is life, but with the life removed, is 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 particularly threatening. So something walking and moving and doing all that, but. But without that spark of life, I think is terribly frightening because what frightens us more than anything, actually, is, is you know, that the removal of that is, well, is death. But but death whilst still being alive is a is a kind of reminder of death while still sort of a parody of life. And I think that's as that's as grim as it gets, which is why, you know, yeah, ghosts and the walking dead and all of those are, are, are things that because they are you know, bad reflections of us uh, and, and therefore scarier than, than a green latex monster. Anything that is a perversion of life as we know it, but still has a an essence of that life about it is, is I think, a little too close to home to be comfortable. Um, oh, yes, I like... Uh, yes, and Moffat's also very good at that, um, of... You know when he talks about the TARDIS, the change, and we go, "Oh, you've changed the TARDIS design." He goes, oh, "I've, you know, I've, I've, I've changed the screensaver or whatever it is." Um, he, he, he can. He finds very good ways of explaining stuff within the Doctor Who universe, within the sort of modern parlance, and yeah, the idea that that you know the the Doctor being scatty after regeneration is rebooting. Well, that immediately makes sense to a modern viewer. But it also explains something that we know and love about regeneration stories where the doctor's uh, brain doesn't work anymore. And, and you know, I think, and, and of course, here's the advantage of what Moffat's doing with the, is this doctor, you know, a bit cowardly and or pragmatic and or, you know, alien detachment thing. Um, you kind of go, oh, are they going to play with that idea that he's, you know, when's he going to come good? He seems to have genuinely left Clara I believe that this might not be the doctor I know and love and I trust Clara because she's great and she's really heroic and she she knows what to do um but in the back of my head I'm going well, well the doctor's run off hang on and I kind of believe the doctor's run off and I'm not sure how I feel about that which is good for the drama is it good for the doctor I have to say are uh, as the guy that people speak to in the in the school playground about doctor who uh but of course that's the other thing is that the clues are all there in a very you know in a moffat story 
and and she can you know she can use that experience to show her brilliance as a companion and to do a sort of clever flourish but again it's somebody said that one of the one of the things about being a moffat doctor is is uh how hard it is to be the cleverest person in the room and i don't think that's i don't think that's an unfair observation but again i do, it doesn't read to me as arrogant because there's enough self-deprecation in the humor and there's enough flaw in the character but because of the sharpness of the dialogue and the quips again i think it's often mistaken for a sort of conceitedness uh that i don't think is there in the humanity of the writing but i think it is a i think it is a hard if i think if you want to be hard on stephen moffat that makes it easy for you to be so if you want to be like that i actually really like the sort of clever wordplay um i i i'm i'm less i'm i'm less keen on the sort of puzzle solving aspect of it even though it's he's phenomenally good at it you know he's always been very good at structure uh and and you know putting a putting a plot together like a jigsaw uh where but it's a, it's a, it's a jigsaw where you, you don't necessarily realize the pieces of go until uh, at the end somebody shows you where they all go and you and and you can finally see the the picture um this is all very well done uh but again i it does it, it, it oh yes of course we get the flashback um uh, do we see the first do we see the first bit of courtney here as well i forget i've forgotten about you because you've got courtney who comes in you've got those two kids later haven't you the two ones the two kids that she babysits where it seemed like for a while we were going to have sort of yeah that's courtney there we go we didn't know that was courtney then that just looked like a uh you know some school child but she becomes important and then kind of forgotten about uh and yeah the two kids that she babysat i can't even remember what they're called i have a lot to rediscover with uh, the Capaldi era and that's just because I've been busy it's not that I, I haven't particularly wanted to to watch it because most of the Doctor Who I watch now is is for these podcasts but I haven't been set that many um, he's excellent he's a really good villain uh, it's it's hard to do kind of staccato dialogue delivery um, and it not be sort of turgid or wooden but you know his his sort of flatness uh it has to be like that because he's a sort of automaton but yet he still has a a sort of believable character and a a, a sense of sort of med medicine and as I say, a slight there's a slight sort of melancholy there as well um and it's an excellent special effect but the lighting i'm loving the lighting in this uh and i like the way he sort of tilts his head and does all that robotic stuff uh, that's very good um it, it will be destroyed that's a very nice doctor who line isn't it i like the way he's sort of just holding her gaze it's very tense and you go where is the doctor hang on where's 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 the new doctor who gone uh I'm going to be fascinated in what Millie's 
favourite things are. And of course, this is clearly a very effective episode of Doctor Who because that eye is brilliant. It's really horrible. Um, uh, and, and isn't this whole balloon made out of people's skin? It's very good at kind of getting sort of primal, visceral fears together, isn't he? You know, the, the, that's, that's pretty grim. It's a, is it a hot air balloon made out of people's skin? Oh, you know, just like the spaceship in uh, in uh, Girl in the Fireplace, you know, the the uh, the cameras of people's eyes that again speaks to, um, you know, sort of surgery. Nobody likes surgery. Nobody likes going to the dentist or being chopped about or uh, all of that. And, and he turns it into a Doctor Who threat monster. That removable hand is a great idea. Um and of course, a very Doctor Who uh, idea, because you know, a removable hand is is somehow much more Doctor Who to me than even a laser gun, because it's taking. But because in the old days it was easier to use a hand than a laser gun. Now, not that they did necessarily have removable hands in the old days, but it's it's carried on carrying on the old methodology of Doctor Who of sort of going use what is available from the stuff that we have and you can you can do a bit more you can do loads more these days but i think where moffat scores quite high is going but i'm still going to use what would be available to people who could only use what we've got which is like human body parts <laughs> gas masks you know cracks in the wall all of that i think he scores really really highly on um But I did, as I say, I, I was in the school play, playground and, I mean, Arthur, this friend of my son's big Doctor Who fan, I bumped into his mum and she went, oh, he doesn't like this new one. Uh, and within three weeks, he wasn't watching Doctor Who anymore. And it's like, God, kids are fickle. Uh, and, I mean, he'd been well into it. Um, but I suppose the other thing is, these days, if you like a Doctor and a period of Doctor Who, well, it's on iPlayer, uh, you know, it's on DVD. I mean, DVD even now seems a little bit passe. But if if you like what it was, this is daring as well, because I was absolutely convinced he was going to take her hand. Uh, and that's where you think you're going. That's the obvious thing. The new Doctor is tested. Uh, it's Doctor Who's going to save her. Uh, oh, and then you think, oh, no, it's the robot. And then, oh, no, it's Doc 2. But I thought for a moment that he wasn't he wasn't going to do it. Um, and then when it's the robot that does it, you go, oh, he's been really, really clever. But then it is the Doctor. And I love that line, rubbish robots from the dawn of time. I like Moffat's dialogue when he sort of uh, undercuts the highfalutin with uh, a, a very sort of prosaic um, schoolyard put down. It just seems to work. Um, I've been suddenly abandoned. I love all of that. She's brilliant. She... <laughs> I think she. I think she's. I, I often try not to choose the regulars, and the obvious thing would be to choose Capaldi. But I and I love Capaldi. Um, but I. I. It did. It did take me a while. I have to say to to warm to exactly what they were doing here. I have to be honest. Uh, I, I absolutely on paper 
understand the desire behind it. Uh, but I have to say, and it's, I think history might might back me up on this, that it didn't, only anecdotally, Doctor Who's still here, so it's fine, that it didn't... <laughs> Love it. Uh, <laughs> but that's cool as well love love the two uh uh the uh the the two funky lesbians uh uh abseiling it's not abseiling is it but uh, uh unraveling down into the room to save the day fantastic um <laughs> they're still gonna close your restaurant <laughs> his, his dialogue is so good i love moffat's dialogue um and this is all great and that's really you know the the blades uh, scary this this you know this feels like the end of days this is really spooky uh you, you know uh this is excellent it's, it's, it's been a long time coming um but yes as i say a, a lot of people seemed a lot a lot of the younger people and but 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 that's because yeah if you've got a doctor that you like these days well you can just go back and watch them again and again and again and again well we couldn't do that you know if if you wanted your slice of doctor who you had to watch you had to watch the next doctor who and i spent most of my life being cross with doctor who as it is now and yearning for what it was then and it's only when it's all then and none of it's now that you realize that there are some bits of then that you didn't like when they were now that you love now because they're then <laughs> um and and you know i was about sylvester mccoy and peter davison how arthur was about peter capaldi but unlike arthur I didn't have a choice, so I had to continue watching Peter Davison and I had to continue watching Sylvester McCoy, both of whom I like now. Davison, as I say, is one of my favourite doctors now, but I didn't like him at all at the time. <laughs> I even love the floor in that. It's a brilliant set design. Um... <laughs> That's great. Um, the restaurant is closed. Um... Um, but 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 Arthur didn't have to carry on watching Peter Capaldi if on first view he didn't particularly like this scary doctor uh, because he could just go well I'll just I'll just watch the, the ones that I know and like because they are readily available so it's tricky isn't it because the the, the other thing is you know there's a there's a good reason to mix up the dynamic with what the doctor is doing because you don't because doctor who has now been back you know since 2005 uh it's it's gone past its 50th anniversary just you know you've got to you can't keep you can't keep repeating the same tricks you have to be doing different things you know and doctor who between the war games and spearhead from space changes massively you know D doctor who within the tom baker era changes from you know gothic horror to sort of uh comic fantasy of the graham williams era to the you know to the um m moody maths of the uh of the bid mead era um 
you know, and then then in Nathan Turner's time, it goes from you know being the sort of sort of quite often quite thoughtful Davison stories to then you know Saywood realizes that action adventure with you know violent death is kind of what it's all about so then we go a bit too far in that direction and then it completely reinvent itself when Cartmel comes along and so you know if you've got the same showrunners you know we've at this point we're on we're only in our second showrunner but the show has been back uh near, you know nearly 10 years um <laughs> uh and also you know you have a kind of um the 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 way that the show is structured and released means that you've you 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 need more sort of first nights and um you need to get the press and you need to uh and the old episodes are out there, so you know your your previous you know the previous season is out there on iPlayer and whatever. You've got to you've got to kind of say this is the same and yet different. You've got to reassure viewers that this is the program that they love, but not just a boring photocopy of it. So it's really really hard to do. <laughs> uh, and I think lots uh, and I you know and I think this all works on paper. Um, I'm I'm not sure it all works in excuse. Always nice to see St Paul's Cathedral in Doctor Who, uh, and yeah, there's the and the balloon. That's very Jules Verne, isn't it? That's uh, 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 again the sort of the future as imagined in the past, which is always rather nice. And it, it, I, I think all of that fits really nicely in the Doctor Who universe you know you can you can imagine the hg wells first men on the moon kind of vibe working very well with doctor who so they're having a drink that's very interesting uh should doctor who drink alcohol uh well doctor doctor who manages to make alcohol look very grown up um but actually do you want alcohol to look grown up because then it makes kids think oh that's a grown-up thing to be doing uh of course it's fine and it's 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 not a thing i have a Great. So somebody uh, on Twitter the other day said what they like about this podcast is when I say I uh, I don't think that's terribly important and then spend 10 minutes talking about why I don't think something's important. I think it's just because I I sometimes take 10 minutes talking about things because I don't half go on. But uh, that is the nature of an audio podcast. Um, so he has to this. I will reach the promise that. Oh, of course, because this is this is the whole start of the uh, uh the ad, the adventures in the afterlife uh i had no clue who missy was uh i really didn't and i uh, i've i've since been told that there had been a rumor or somebody had correctly guessed that she was a female version of the master when she said i can't even say mistress even then I thought, oh, Mistress Rani? Um, and it was only when she said it. Perhaps I'm slow, perhaps I'm stupid. Uh, she's only in the end of this. Um, he's, he does a very good job, Peter Ferdinando, as the, uh, the half-faced man. Uh, 
and he's great in this bit, Capaldi. He, I mean, I haven't talked about Capaldi much. I think he's a magnificent actor, and I think he's a, you know, and I think he has that great tortured soul thing. And he's also very funny. He's great at saying rubbish robots from the dawn of time. Uh, and he's and he's you know he's got he's got that voice that comes from the very core. You know that's a that's an actor who's you know who's who's wrought a lot of dialogue, uh, but but knows how to really make it score. Um, and he's uh, he's absolutely terrific. And he's got those wonderful bendy legs. Uh, and and that and that sort of cadaverous face that he has um, is one that has sort of life and experience etched into it. You see, they say Moffat's not very human as a writer because of the jokes and all of that, but he does all this sort of stuff absolutely brilliantly. Um, uh, and that's you know, and also you know that is a bit sort of uh, how do I make the the Victorian lady lesbian not suffocate oh i'll get her lizard lover to fill her lungs with breath i'm not sure if i'm going that is admirable because it's representation uh and i think it's brilliant that doctor is not squeamish about uh uh you know non-straight characters and i think it's one of the great triumphs that uh that russell and and you know russell gets a lot of the credit for it but stephen moffat uh uh you, you know has has done his fair share uh and you know it, anything that sort of normalizes uh uh marginalized groups who get otherwise you know othered and marginalized in the press and are always you know seen as an imposition into drama by uh, uh, commentators with an agenda or whatever um, I think that Doctor Who does it with uh, a, a lizard Sherlock Holmes uh, and uh, a ninja maid <laughs> is is of course the way you, you do it with Doctor Who but also it makes for that rather you know that rather touching moment as well that she she gives her the breath from her lungs the hat going down Big Ben that's a magnificent shot that's incredible again big ben in doctor who just seems to and that he looks at the camera does he look at the camera as if to go did i push him off and what's clever about that is that it, it gives you it gives you the choice because it's we know the doctor has killed before and if that's the pragmatic thing to do but i think myself and i'm perfectly happy to put my hands up and say how hypocritical it is is that I prefer it if the doctor kills at arm's length or doesn't kill um, because I like my idea of the the doctor not being somebody who takes a life. Now, more pragmatic people than I go, well, no, sometimes you have to take a life to, to do the right thing. And that's what a real hero does. Um, and, and that is a perfectly acceptable viewpoint and one that is consistent with what the show does. Um, I, I prefer to have my cake and eat it um, alongside somebody that if they need to die, they eat the cake and it turns out to have been poisoned by somebody else. And then I can still watch them die, but I haven't killed them. <laughs> um, but but this is cleverly playing with that as well. And I think something that makes you as a viewer question your sensibilities, um, because there are, there are alternative readings of Doctor Who and what the Doctor should be all about 
and and I like the fact that sometimes I have to admit that I you know you do a bit of cognitive dissonance you go well I kind of know that the doctor occasionally does those things and occasionally should do those things it's not like when Wotan calls Doctor Who Doctor you go well that just shouldn't have happened it was a production mistake and you can do the cognitive dissonance well I just pretend that didn't happen rather than have to unravel the whole of the series or find you know convoluted ways as to why he's not called Doctor Who um oh bye bye Madam Vastra um and I isn't there just something beautiful about the TARDIS it's a whacking great TARDIS though isn't it uh, oh and here we have the new uh TARDIS design do we like it yeah I think Michael Pickwood oh who's so sad that he's no longer with us who has a connection to the war machines because his dad William Mervyn was Sir Charles Summer because uh, William Mervyn was called William Mervyn Pickwood but uh Michael Pickwood, who is the production designer uh, of this era, who, yeah, who's sadly no longer with us. Uh, I like this TARDIS. I like, I like the sort of books. I like, I like the, 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 the mixture of, you know, futuristic panels and old Victorian slash Edwardian, you know, oldie, dusty, leather bound stuff. I do like that mixture. I, I think that's the kind of thing they were going for with the, the season 14 uh, wooden panel TARDIS weren't they that, that never quite it, 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 that, that went a little too far in the other direction for me is that I think you needed a bit more uh, the, 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 the console itself was a little mimsy uh, although I do like the, the, the you know the wooden the wooden aspect of it whereas this this has the, the console the right size I think um, like that piece of Doctor Music as well uh, that will come to be a, a theme Oh, yes, and here we are introduced to the lady in the shop, isn't it? Missy, the woman in the shop, yeah. He's got a great face. He is a, he is a brilliant doctor. He is a brilliant doctor. But I think it wasn't the... It wasn't the all-conquering arrival I'd expected. I think I'd put too much on what was going to happen here. Uh, I thought everything was going to be amazing. Uh, and of course, I, I, I can never have that because I will always be too worried. But I don't need to worry now. History is safe. Doctor Who continued. Um, he's got a wonderful face. He can do great warmth. And then he can do scary, scary. And actually, the best doctors are a little scary. You know, Hartnell is a little scary. Tom Baker can be very, very scary. Uh Patrick Troughton, if you you know, if you want to read his brooding, uh, is a little. Now this is this was controversial. Uh, I actually think this was a really good move. I think it's a real surprise because you don't, and of course because the way that Doctor Who used to be made, you knew that once a Doctor had gone, you weren't really going to see them again unless for a special because because the way that television was, they were off doing something else. Now, yes, I know actors go off doing something else now, but you're not tied into stuff in quite the same way. Stuff can be done a bit quicker. You can do it like Clara does in uh, Twice Upon a Time. You know, you can get the actress in a cupboard in front of a green screen uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and ensure that she has a, she has a, 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 a you know, a, a sort of corporeal cameo. Um, and Matt Smith obviously filmed this when he was doing 
the other one because Moffat plans ahead and I love the fact you get the flashback to her putting the phone back in you go oh that makes sense now but I equally know people who go, no, no, this is the new Doctor's era. Don't don't be so beholden to what you've done before. Um, let the new guy have his have his moment. I get that. I get that. I think I do think that is a fair observation. But I remember when this happened for me, it was it was something Doctor Who had not done before. Uh, <laughs> and it's nice that you kind of go oh this sort of stuff all sort of fits together nicely as well because often Doctor Who as well we know is as a result of improvisation compromise and making things up on the fly so when it all seems to sort of fit together really neatly and nicely you go oh yeah Doctor Who's things are looking up for Doctor Who uh, <laughs> that it's it's sort of fitting together kind of nicely so I, I will accept this as a as a as a as a one-off um because obviously especially as they've made this doctor slightly more difficult to get to know um you have the old guy coming in and giving you know very good sci-fi and personal reasons for why clara should accept this guy is him uh and i find that quite moving um There's a great melancholy to Capaldi as well, which I really like. He's a striking-looking man, isn't he? He's got a fantastic face. Uh, and I think it was important to have an older doctor, um, you know, to show the kids that you can, you can still have a, a hero who isn't young and buff. But equally, we've got one that's young and buff coming out, and I'm really excited. So I think it's all about whether whether the actor's got the chops and this actor definitely, definitely has the chops. Um, and the way that they've written her, you know, helps us into that. She's, you know, she's finding it difficult. So it's a brave, it's a brave move. And there are, there are bits in this oncoming season where you go, you really go in there? And I don't know how I feel about those because I need to kind of go back and do it again and work out what I think. I did see Into the Dalek recently and there are some moments where you go, ooh, did he need to be that mean? <laughs> uh, but God, if you need any warmth, you get it from her. She's incredible. I don't think that I'm arguing. But I, and I love all of that. I, I, I quite like the Doctor being awkward i love that image of him with his hands sticking up and out i like the doctor as you know awkward around relationships awkward around people i always it always sort of spoke to me a little bit when the doctor you know didn't do goodbyes in the old series and just sort of took off and went away and that and that you know that speaks to me about social awkwardness and finding emotion difficult and and uh, and i think you know i think moffat articulates and maybe even identifies with that side of things very well um he's got brilliant body language he's got uh he's like a kind of he's like a kind of socially awkward coat hanger <laughs> uh but everything those sinewy fingers and that cadaverous face and here ah and here we go um 
we have Missy, uh, who is the amazing Michelle Gomez, uh, who I'd loved in was a sitcom called um, The Book Group. It wasn't really a sitcom. It was a strange show, but it was excellent. Uh, they only did two series. Uh, and that was the first thing I saw her in. And then she was in Green Wing, where she, she seems to have been given carte blanche to do all sorts. And I think she's one of those performers that tries stuff. Uh, I don't know. I've never worked with her. I have, I've interviewed her on stage and she was very nice. But uh, you get the impression that she's just got a slightly extra energy. And this and this reinvention of, of well, this, yeah, I mean, she, I think she's brilliant casting. I think she's my favourite master after Delgado, who it would be very hard to beat for me. But that's not a lot of nostalgia involved in that. I think she's absolutely terrific. Uh, I'm, I think I'm less wild about the afterlife stuff. Um, uh, you know, even though resurrecting the dead and all of that sort of stuff within Doctor Who uh, is a thing that I kind of, as I say, I quite like, you know, bodies bursting out of graveyards and that sort of thing. But the afterlife thing, well, we'll get on to that. But then again, this is the positive. This is the positive Doctor Who commentary. So maybe we won't. But um, here I am mining the commentary on. Uh, but I have to say on a season and on an approach to Doctor Who that I that I did find difficult in places. Brilliant production values, but look at that. It's brilliant direction. Ben Wheat is a fantastic director. Um, brilliant lighter, brilliant colour, brilliant special effects, brilliant leads, brilliant writer of dialogue, brilliant conjurer of ideas. But there were bits that I that I still wrestle with, and I'm still wrestling with. I'm wrestling with as I'm talking to you right now. But that's okay. Uh, it's nice to have something to talk about, isn't it? So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to name my five favourite things about that episode. I hope it didn't say... I had to be honest um, about that. This is very much a accentuate the positive. Now, it's a lot easier for me to accentuate the positive for stuff with which I have a lot of nostalgia because you can tie that up with childhood. And of course, because you've had more times to reassess something, forgive it its sins, because I've probably watched, say, The Keys of Marinus more times, even though it was on before I was born, more times than I've watched a, a, a lot of stuff, you know, post-2013, to be honest, because, because life kind of gets in the way. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I suppose that I still think of that as new Doctor Who and I've still got new Doctor Who that is new to watch. So if I think about watching a Doctor Who, I tend to go a bit further back because of nostalgia and stuff. So I'm looking forward to actually to times when I can, you know, revisit. It's pretty much deep breath and beyond, which are the stories I, I certainly know the least well uh, in order to reassess redigest you know fall in love with be surprised by all sorts of things um and uh, I, obviously it's very hard to do that live <laughs> because i've just been doing commentary whilst talking talking through it um i did actually watch it a, a two or three weeks ago in preparation for this because i think it's unfair for you for me to go in totally blind because basically you're you know it's it's like it's it's like it's like being in an episode of nightmare essentially isn't it where where i'm i'm st i'm stumbling through a room that you can see and and i'm i'm sort of trying to trying to point to where the, all, all the ex interesting things are you know by guesswork whilst whilst you're yelling no no go the other way you know while i'm going is, is that a wall and you're going there's a piece of dialogue there um but um 
Uh, so anyway, um, you know, I still very much drive to be positive, but I, I, I wanted to say where perhaps my... And it's weird because it's not... There's nothing in the episode I don't like. Um, it's just I, I, I think I've, I haven't quite yet coalesced around this era and what I truly think of it. And, and actually, when I look at it and look at the bits I really enjoy, I then remember, you know, the shadow of, of certain sort of story arcs or certain elements of that era that I go, oh, I actually haven't quite reconciled myself to those yet. Um, anyway. What do I like about... Well, I I mean, I think... Hmm. I think you have to say... Jenna Louise Coleman is essential, I think, to letting the Doctor, this tricky Doctor, into our... into our hearts, or at least cautiously accepting uh, and she's very much the sort of emotional heart because this doctor is the one who you know is a bit little bit closed off a little bit blunt a little bit blunt a little bit pragmatic um and she's such a sort of pesky perky human fun but you know when she's pissed off she's pissed off she's so great at that at the real genuine kind of anger but without it being apocalyptic shakespearean anger but actually genuine human i'm I'm pissed off with you um and i think she's i think she's so good and as i said i did you know i i did tire of the enigma element a bit i did think she probably stayed a little bit too long um and and i i was as i say i was very amused by the oh effing clara at uh, uh, responsive twitter at twice upon a time and i don't know why because i really like her and i think she's really good um I would be interested to discover why when I think of that I have ambivalence because she's she's great and I think she she really helps us in that episode. Uh, I'm going to choose the bit where Strax hits her in the face with the uh, newspaper because it's funny and it's got a funny noise. It's got a funny thunk. She falls over and it kind of comes and it's just stupid. It's stupid, but funny <laughs> and i and i do think dan stark is great as strax and i you know it's 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 one of those ones where i have a strange you know duality because i go you know part of me goes well they're undermining the sontarans by making them figures of fun but i go but actually they do it really well and it's really funny so i don't you know tough um tough other me um i think a tyrannosaurus and big ben and the houses of parliament i th i think and so I'm going to choose that, but I'm going to, within that, encapsulate, uh, you know, taking recognisable sort of British things. I, it reminds me of the Target book. It reminds me a bit of the Target book of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, that book cover, which I absolutely love. It wasn't my first. The Invasion of the Dinosaurs that we had, the Dalek Invasion that we had, was actually... Uh, the later cover with the with the the tyrannosaurus is in front of Paul's Cathedral, which is odd that I actually prefer the 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 one that came to me afterwards, the one with Kaklak. I love that novel. I think it's because of the sun and the and and yeah, it's just it's just brilliant. Um, uh, and so it, it sort of reminds me of that. But anything, I I love the bit in Aliens of London where it hits Big Ben. You know, there's something about having Big Ben. Um, and, and things that you recognise from sort of 
pictures of recognisable London UK landmarks and having those juxtaposed with something alien is really thrills me and excites me and is very Doctor Who the juxtaposition between the recognisably as I say not rec even recognisably Earth recognisably UK and uh, something alien but also I tie in with that 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 this period of history um, and having alien stuff within that setting I think works really really well I think that's really um, I think that's really effective and it's an effective use of Doctor Who's format so yeah I'm sort of going dinosaur and Big Ben but also you know alien aliens juxtaposed so that includes Vastra and Strax and all that um uh in contra and and you know the 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 half-faced man impaled on Big Ben his hat falling down that that contrast between what we know and what we and what and what is unusual which to me is sort of Doctor Who um I, I like that I really like the scene in the restaurant where they realize that everybody's a clockwork person and those clockwork people stand up and that noise clicks in and and they're eating but they're not eating uh and and you know that ties in with another thing that I, I really like as a scare which is the sort of parody of the human form the parody of life but with with life and intelligence and humor and quirks and warmth taken out of it which then is you know doubly scary because it reminds us of what we look like in death uh so all of that you know clockwork death we'll call that but i even like the fact that the floor is those black and white tiles i don't know it all just kind of works so that rest that restaurant scene for those reasons uh and and i think i'll choose i mean do i choose Capaldi's look because he's so good is it wrong to not because Capaldi is I think he's a brilliant brilliant doctor um and is that look to camera because there's the doctor there's no we've never quite had I know we've had n not even the sonic screwdriver will work on this one but the doctor kind of giving us a did I just kill that guy it's very bold but without being explicit which is why it's so clever because it means you can interpret it either way uh or do I choose the Matt Smith phone call, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful surprise. Um, but I know divides people. I think many might, will many choose? I think I have to be fair on Capaldi and go, I'm choosing the new guy. Uh, and I think that that moment, the two moments that you, you kind of accept both sides of him are the, did I just kill that guy? And the bit where he can't put his hands around Clara. So... That those two bits that wrap around uh, Matt Smith, I will, I will kind of pretend they're one thing and that they exist together in order that if she touches upon one of them, I might get a smidgen of a point. Um, but I am looking forward because you know this this is a completely different uh, juncture for Millie as a Doctor Who fan, so she's not a you know a drunk disappointed man at a crossroads in his life <laughs> which is what i was when i first watched this episode uh this is her first episode of doctor who, although from what she said it came at quite a difficult time and isn't doctor who wonderful at difficult times um and and maybe 
this uh, input from Millie, who I don't know, who has comes from a completely different background uh, and has had completely different stimuli to I in my life. Maybe because I've not, I think, been brilliant at accentuating the positive as much as I would like to be. I love it when I get enthused, you know, but I get enthused sometimes through knowledge because I know something really, really well and like the back of my hand. So I can riff and blah, blah, blah. Whereas this, I was sort of feeling my way through a bit and going, oh, is that the... Uh? So, you know, that's that's partially because of, you know, how much I've been exposed to a story or not. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, and it's that's instructive to me. Um, I hope it's been something entertaining for you uh but i'm hoping that now at this back end of this podcast millie um will perhaps answer the question am i a good fan uh, because maybe what she brings to the table will enable me to understand and perhaps appreciate what it is that i like and and how to overcome my uncertainty about aspects of deep breath so I'm going to take one now and open my ears. And as you've requested, Toby, I have got five of my most favourite things from this episode. It was hard to narrow it down because I, it's, because it's my first episode, it's just got such a special place in my heart. So everything is my favourite. So of, they're quite broad, I must admit. Some of them are quite broad. So number one is Peter Capaldi. Obviously, Peter Capaldi. Isn't he fantastic? He's so fantastic. He's in unhinged. He's actually quite crazy. He's evil. He's angry. He's mad. But he's so funny. He p portrays all of those characteristics with this sparkle in his eye that just makes me grin. Um, okay, Peter Capaldi. Now that's it. Oh, I mean, I didn't even talk about him early on. And I think that's partially just because I don't know the episode that well and I was trying to give a bit of context and maybe he got sort of lost in the mix because the the the, the episode's at no fault with the way that it presents Capaldi and he's he's in the episode much more than, say, Tennant is in the beginning of, uh, of the Christmas invasion. So that's maybe a fault with the format of the podcast and me because I love Capaldi. I think he's a great doctor. I think he's a terrific actor. I think he has heft. I think he has spark. I think he has quirkiness. Um, uh, but but I think I was, I, th I don't know, I think I was maybe waiting for, I, I, I was waiting for the series to fit round him a bit more than I kind of thought it did early on. I remember saying to people at the time, I'm, 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 I'm waiting to love the Capaldi era as much as I like what he promises as a doctor. But I do think, as I say, I do think the harshness was not... I, I, yeah, I, well, I don't know, because it, it, you know, it was Millie's introduction to Doctor Who, and she absolutely loves everything about him. Um, whereas I, you know, I'm still... The jury is still out for me on whether that harshness was a was a good idea but again I'm biased by the fact that I have anecdotal evidence from young people around me who you know made them take a little bit of a step back um, and just because I like it is no reason to celebrate something because because <laughs> me liking something doesn't do it any favours in in my eyes uh, but I do I love Capaldi which is why I chose you know the look to camera and the and the inability to hug which I absolutely love but um I, I don't think I can take a point from that because I think I think Millie is much more embracing of the whole, you know, this is an introductory episode to, to Capaldi. Um, two. 
um, my second favourite thing is the half-faced man. Now the person who acted this, I'm sorry I don't I don't know his name, but he just does it perf perfectly. He he's so monotone and bland. There's absolutely no characteristic in his voice whatsoever. He has just got robot down perfectly. And every time somebody asks him a question because he knows he's stuffed up and he just sits there still, pauses silently for so long. And then the special effects of the whirring and the clicking of the cogs inside his head as he's thinking through the correct answer. Oh, perfect performance. Perfect performance. Yes, that is true. And it's uh, Peter Ferdinando is uh, the half-faced man. And it is very good. And it's you know, you don't get taught at drama school how to act robot. A lot of this stuff is sort of instinctive or it's derived from other stuff that, you know, people have watched as viewers of science fiction or, or you know, or it's just guesswork or it's just, you know, inventiveness. And I love it when, when you know, actors sort of conjure something out of nowhere because, you know, if you're playing a bus driver from Wigan, well, you know what people from Wigan sound like and you've met a lot of bus drivers. So you can, you can you know, and you know that there's probably things within you that you, you can, can connect you maybe through a few sort of wires here and there. But with, with, a, ro with a robot, it's kind of... And monotone is really, really tricky to make interesting. And he makes it really interesting. And that sort of inscrutable, uh, yeah, the whirring and the clicking is is quite unnerving but also i also as i say i do find it he's, he manages to somehow make it slightly melancholic as well so yeah he's excellent and the makeup and the special effect you know having having the the, the monster being somebody who you have to have half their face missing for every shot that they're in is you know is is it's pretty ambitious and again doctor who just pulls that stuff off you know seemingly effortlessly these days whereas you know a two second shot of that would have been you know the highlight and the whole afternoon's work of that particular episode uh, in in the sort of Doctor Who I was brought up with, and that's not to criticise that because I love that. My third favourite thing is Clara. She's lovely. I love Clara. I love how brave she is. I love how confident she is. I love how annoying she is. I love how much of a know-it-all she is. It's obvious from this very first episode that I saw with her that her and Capaldi have a massive chemistry. They 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 banter off each other. The way I feel that possibly they wanted the Sixth Doctor and Perry's relationship to be is what they managed to achieve perfectly with these two. They love each other, but at the moment, at the same time, they seem to really get on each other's nerves and it's such a fun pairing to watch and I enjoyed it throughout the entire two years of, of her her reign with, with Capaldi. Brilliantly put Millie and I couldn't agree more and actually I've never thought of it in that way because you know I, I love Colin Baker and I love Nicola Bryan and I really enjoy The Sixth Doctor and I really enjoy Perry but that antagonistic dialogue that they're so often given is is often the most lamentable part of uh of any story that they are in um and you know you can tell the script editor probably doesn't really enjoy writing it as, as when he's writing episodes he tends to enjoy writing the scenes with anybody apart from them uh even more uh more um and it it is quite hard to make a sort of squabbling, bickering relationship entertaining to watch. Nobody likes being with a couple that are always bickering, or um, you know, just a group of friends who are always at each other's throats. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It's tedious. Um, it's never that with 
Capaldi and Jenna Coleman with the Doctor and Clara because you believe their relationship and actually we do find people we know and like annoying we do frequently disagree with them we do bicker and argue but because there's a there's a humanity to both of those performances which sounds counterintuitive if I'm talking about Doctor Who but I think you can have humanity within the alien Time Lord when I talk about when I talk about sort of warmth and realism and depth of a performance and I think both of those actors have that thing uh and when she's and that's what that's why when i chose clara and i might take the point for this because when i chose clara and i although i said jenna coleman and millie said clara and there is a difference between the two but i think jenna coleman is so good what i was saying at, at being pissed off and yet it not being dreary to watch because you kind of go yeah i'm I, I, I buy the truth of this, uh, but it's also helping me with this drama. It's helping to humanise this. It's helping to bring a bit of down-to-earth sort of human reality, that kind of ah, um, emotion that I associate with the everyday. And again, Doctor Who is about juxtaposing the everyday with the outrageous, with the unknowable. You know, I've never been surrounded by alien clockwork soldiers with knives about to chop my head off but i've been bloody pissed off with my mate and if if one of those things helps to ground the other it brings me into the drama and it sells the tale to me and it helps with the otherworldly stuff because because my guide through that is somebody that i go yeah i'm you know i'm with you i know you i know what you're going through i know exactly how you're feeling because you're performing it so well and it's so well put together and played and and written uh that that i you've i'm i'm there next to you i'm with you i'm part i'm i'm in your head because you've let me in and you've you've shown me things that i understand and identify with um and and clara i think is particularly key to that in this dynamic because we're deliberately given a doctor that we're supposed to be slightly at arm's length from at this at this period and so we desperate without clara that would be desperate but yes and it also works in a way that it doesn't i think with the sixth doctor and perry and that is really interesting because that's not a criticism of those two actors either i think that's a criticism of the sort of emotional truth of some of that stuff um and and just perhaps the realism of the dialogue i don't know and the but but also at the 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 sort of more naturalistic level of playing that uh that occasionally is is allowed to come through in those types of scenes in 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 modern who yeah yeah so i'm taking a point i mean i'm i'm not going to come anywhere so you know you don't have to send in the podcast ombuds people my fourth favorite thing is 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 the one tiny little moment this is where it does get to be narrowed down this tiny little moment after the doctor has just compared the android with the broom and then the doctor glances his own reflection in the drinks tray and the comparison that can be made between is the doctor still the same person as he was when he began just the same way is the android still the same person because he's created such a difference he's changed every part of his body and I love how in Moffat's Moffat's storytelling is so clever because he 
in, in the vinyl episode of Capaldi's run, Twice Upon a Time, he revisits this notion because Capaldi is so adamant that the glass avatar Bill is not Bill. But Bill is like, but I have Bill's memories. I must be Bill. I am Bill. And this is something we all have to consider when we get a new doctor. Are they the same person? I mean, they're different actors, obviously. That's a given. But in the story sense, all their cells have changed. They're a different pe person, they're a different body, they're different physically, sometimes different genders. But we still feel that they are the same person because they have the same memories, they have the same experiences. So it is something to ponder, and I don't think we'll ever truly know the answer to it. Ah, yes, that's very good. And that, that I was thinking about this only recently because I listened to a podcast interview with Rick Astley, and he was talking about watching himself as a 21-year-old singing Never Gonna Give You Up, you know. Uh, and he's now, what, older than me, mid-50s, mid something like that. Uh, and going, you know, I, I look at that and I, and I can't believe it's the same person. And, and, and t to an extent it isn't because, you know, I've, I've changed so much since then, but it is still him. And that's, that speaks to us, I think, because, you know, you cringe sometimes at the things you said as a youth or the things that you thought or the way that you behaved. And you go, well, I've got to let myself off because I wasn't the same person then. And obviously you are because you're united by memories, but we, but we do change and every cell in our body changes. Are there any bits of me that are the same as the bits of me that made up me when I was 20? I'm surely they, surely they've all I don't know how it works. Is my kidney the same kidney or have bits of those as that kidney like my skin falls off? Does bits of my does my kidney well no it can't I suppose it is the same. But anyway, I don't know. Um and I listened to my voice on something the other day and I thought there was no trace of me in it. But of course then there was. It was like this sort of slightly higher pitched uh, uh, sort of ghost ghostly version of, of was a, a ghost of the past um but i think that's very interesting with doctor who and you know we talk about the different doctors either by number doctor one or doctor four or as is the way now you know 13 six um and to me i think it's always the, it's the first doctor the second doctor the fourth doctor or actually usually hartnell trout and pertwee whatever um but i you know i, I think because Doctor Who is done so well generally that it is easy for me to go no but they are all the same person I can I can see traces of Hartnell in Davison uh you know I can I, I, I can see that Matt Smith is William Hartnell Patrick Jackson John Pertwee Tom Baker Peter, I, you know I, I can I can trace that lineage through through all of them um but does that mean when one of them dies, regenerate? We shouldn't be sad, but the series has gone to great lengths to go. But it, no, it is like dying because I want you to miss this actor. So we're not going to go. Yeah, it's fine. Just gonna we're just gonna carry on the way we did before. It does have to be a wrench when we lose the leading actor. Um, but also the show has to go. Yeah, but they are. It is the same person because you don't want to think up. You're, you're you're picking up the series with somebody totally new because then well why are we still persisting with adventuring with this person no it's it's the doctor it's our eccentric exciting um you know but benevolent um uncle auntie 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 who it's our auntie who uh auntie who i think yeah auntie doctor doctor auntie who auntie doctor who um 
I'm not anti-Doc 2. I'm very pro it. Uh, so, yes. Yes, that's... Uh, and and I unfortunately I was talking through the mirror bit, which is annoying. Um, and the, the, yeah, the triggers broom thing, basically saying, "Are you the same? Are you the same broom?" And and Moffat is extremely good at yes, he recalls stuff, and you go, "Did you plan all of this, or are you just very clever at looking back at the things you've done and gone, oh, those pieces of the jigsaw will fit in here as well?" Because he does that a lot. Either whichever one it is, both are really really clever. And both, uh, you know, very, you know, that's very exciting to me as a as a viewer to see, you know, different strands that you never expected to to tie up or tie up brilliantly. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a that's a good choice. And sorry, I was talking through it, Millie. It is the nature of these things. And finally, for my last favourite thing is probably even the most important because this is the scene that made me an actual fan. This is the restaurant scene. Most notably, the moment <laughs> where Clara starts sniffing, sniffing the air, and she turns around and she sees the doctor sitting there in his stolen tramps outfit, and she says the smell is disgusting, and he's like, yeah, I know, it's everywhere. Oh, I laugh so loud at that, and I just knew, <laughs> I just knew that I was going to be a fan forever. But over on top of that is all the creepiness of that scene as well. The fact that the people are not actually people, and the banter between Clara and the Doctor was so adorable. I just love those two so much. I miss them, but I love what comes next as well. Aww. Um Well, I, I chose the restaurant scene, so... Two out of five, that's not bad. That's better than I often do. I felt like I was close to victory. I don't think I deserved victory because I think I was scrabbling in the dark. I was, you know, I was I was holding my breath and try, <laughs> trying to keep going uh, through, you know, unfamiliar territory. I hope it was okay for you. Uh, as I say, you know, I, I, I can't always be out there throwing out facts um, or, you know, memories from childhood. So I hope listening to, a, you know, me talking about something I'm less familiar with has been acceptable to you. As I say, I did, I did watch it a, a few weeks ago in order to, uh, to, to, to prepare and remind myself of, of various bits. But I think, you know, I think it's an episode that I will, will go back to. And, and actually with, with, for having seen it now from Millie's viewpoint, perhaps, you know, go in at a different angle and suddenly all those pieces in the jigsaw will all come together for me because my perspective is, as I say, slightly skewed by, you know, Doctor Who was no longer, you know, oh, is it going to, it's coming back, is it going to be any good? I'm so excited it's come back, uh, you know, and then, oh, Russell T. Davis got a now Moffat's in and we've got Stephen Moffat and a new Doctor and, oh, this is all new and exciting. And then, you know, um, and, and, you know, oh, you know, is, is the public going to be on side with this? Well, the public, you know, this, you know, the public were Doctor was, you know, very much very, uh, very established. Um, although, as I say, you know, where, where, where I was, um, a, f a few people did stop watching at this point. Um, but, you know, we, 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 we sort of see, see Doctor Who through the prism of our own experience and we accept it or not, uh, depending on a vast number of things. 
and, and a lot of those things are not necessarily always to do with Doctor Who. And sometimes maybe to accept a Doctor you, you know, well, you, you may, maybe you don't need a phone call from a previous incarnation. Perhaps you need a, a video message from somebody younger than you in New Zealand who you've never met, who we'll hear a little bit more from now. Uh, so that's all my five favourite things. Thank you, Toby, once again for inviting me to your podcast. If you want to check out my polymer clay figures, please visit me on Twitter and Instagram at CowBearCreates and at CowBearCreations. I pretty much do just that. I often sometimes talk about cats. But other than that, it's just Doctor Who. Thank you very much and kia ora. Oh, Millie's great. And I love this about sort of who and knew who and you know i've got loads of mates that i, I mean i didn't have many doctor who fan mates when i was younger at all but since i've come into the sort of doctor who sphere uh you know obviously a lot of my social circle now is people my age who like doctor who uh but it thrills me and excites me that there are people well one that there are non non middle-aged men who like doctor who so people of different genders liking doctor who but also people from across the world uh people from a different perspective from a different age group and then seeing people who are creative in a different way i you know i'm a creative person i i write and i perform and i tell jokes and i generally try and get through life by trying to make things that I hope that people will like and be interested in and, and that will some, you know, if, if only on a tiny level, make their day a bit better than it was because I've said something that's informed them, of, of, you know, you know it entertained them or, or, or amused them. Uh, and what Millie did, but that's just words, isn't it? That's just, ch- ch- that's just chunter, but I kind of get away with it. Um, Millie is properly creative. Um, seeing her figures that are colourful and they're charming, they're beguiling, they're delightful and they, you know, they're familiar and yet different. You know, they're they're little clay figures but they're uniquely hers and yet they're recognisably Doctor Who. And as I say, they have some, it's not just about how they look and, and the skill with which they're made, it's the character that they have that are uniquely their own that totally won me over. So I'm glad that their creator uh, has come and lent some of her creativity and insight to this. And I hope that, uh, um, you know, some, some, some the, the combination of the two of us uh, as, has been somehow, for you, dear listener, oxygenating. And, you know, for what, an hour and 20 minutes on whenever you're listening to this has kept you going. Until the next time, goodbye. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Millie McKenzie, who can be found on Twitter at CowBearCreates. I'm grateful to Millie and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Paul J. Guest, Robin Groen, Lisa Gledhill, Charles Gears, David Gillespie, Nev Fountain, Chris Bone, Mark Findlay-Smith, Fleet Boy, Andrew Egan, Jeff Edwards, Andrew East, Paul Dykes, Drew, Tim Dickinson, Ian Dean, Shanti Day, Robert Davies, Hugh Davies, Chris Davies, Rob Dawson, Matt Dale, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Simon Curtis, Dave Curran, Steve Cuniff, David Crew, Lee Kremin, Philip Craggs, Peter Crocker, Ben Cowdell, Matt Corner, Martin Cook, 
Ben Cook, Paul Colnaghi, Simon Coling, Charles Coppin, Mark Cockrum, Graham Cluley and Mark Clues. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like your name to be read out in the credits of Happy Times and Places or one of the other Toby Haydock's time travel podcasts, Too Much Information or Indefinable Magic, well, that is one of the perks that can be acquired at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you can sign up for as little as £3 a month to get the Happy Times and Places six months earlier and the other ones a month to six weeks earlier, plus other exclusives, interviews, bonus releases, bits from my archive, photos from my dog, all sorts of treasures. £3 per month gets you access to all of the audio and visual material. There are a few things that sort of lure you up the tiers, but it's most, it's basically it's a pay-what-you-can slash are-inclined-to uh, system rather than, oh, look at the trinkets, uh, the, you know, the deeper you dig. So... Um, yeah, you can do that. It's a monthly commitment. You might not want to do that. You might not be able to do that. Times are tough. Winter is uh, is has got its icy fingers clasped around us and the government seems to be pulling off our clothes and not in a sexy way. Um, I mean, anyway, let's... I think we'll leave that. Yeah, we'll leave that there. Um, so... Uh, but it might be that, um, you know, your icy fingers are clasped around a cup of coffee and somebody's given you a spare one and you might think, oh, well, I'll give that cup of coffee to Toby. But in in cyberspace form where you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, which uh, is a system whereby you can just do a one off donation if you fancy it or if you particularly like a podcast or if you're feeling flash. However, I know that times are tough. They've, 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 they're so tough they've made me engage in even more tortured metaphors that go nowhere. Uh, and so what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, all those places online and leave a five-star review and perhaps some nice lines about these podcasts which will lure other people into their web. Um, and I've never said this. I don't think about... I've been listening to other podcasts and people say, please... Uh, follow and sub- subscribe and favourite. Follow, subscribe and like. Subscribe and like. Follow and like. Follow and subscribe. Whatever the other people say on their podcasts, do do that to me. Do that to me as well. Um, so you could do all of those things. And and those those latter ones are, are things that, yeah, as I say, are free and uh, just help me and help to uh, make my algorithms look just a little bit sexier to any passing trade. I am a stand-up comedian as well, you know, and I do live comedy every Tuesday in Manchester at XS Malarkey Comedy Club. That's at XS Malarkey, XS Malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. And it's a comedy club that's been running for 26 years this year and wins awards and is very nice and is uh, run on a non-profit making basis. So it's uh, as cheap as we can possibly make it. But the acts are all proper professional acts from the circuit. So come and see that if you're in Manchester of a Tuesday night. I mean, I'm already looking at the clock here, the ticker, whatever it's called, and it's at two hours, two minutes and 11 seconds, which seems quite a long time for a free podcast. Um, So I won't do too much. Not that I'm saying any of these post-credits bits add value. I mean, it started off as a line, didn't it? Or a little little comment here and there. And I mean, 
they've turned into litanies, some of them, or, or, or monologues of self-justification or random pointless observation. I, yeah, well, I suppose I suppose I justify it by saying it's, it's right at the end. So if you're still listening, it is essentially your fault. But I've been slightly reluctant with this one. I've, I've, I don't know. I, I feel I wasn't as positive as I should have been. Now, you know, the mists of time may have shrouded my judgment because uh, I haven't I did this a couple of weeks ago as I record this this post credits bit um, but that's partially because I, I was a bit worried about coming back to it and uh, I know in the past when I've listened to ones where I think I haven't been positive enough I've listened back and gone oh that's absolutely fine but I hate listening to myself and so I I try not to do that where possible and this one is very long so I haven't done it I have trusted that one I'm my memory has cheated and that I've been pretty positive uh, and two that Millie Mackenzie is such a brilliant guest and I do love the work oh go and see her work it's absolutely fantastic online I think she's such a rare talent and such a, a benign and lovely contributor to this so that I hope helps to get this one across the finish line and if I'm not been as positive as perhaps I sometimes am one I'm not as familiar with the material because I know the old stuff a lot and and two I do have to get my head around the fact that I you know, a lot of much more recent Doctor Who. I've, I've, I've only watched a, a handful of times, and you know, life has been doing what life has been doing, and I, I need to sort of, uh, you know, reframe my perspectives on it, and perhaps get some healthy nostalgia and do some revisiting. Uh, so that's that's been a lesson. But I hope this hasn't been, because I, you know, it's Doctor Who, and I love it, and I love the Moffat era. I love Capaldi. I love uh, Moffat's writing and the, the, all the production values and the stories that are told. Um, so in, anyway interesting it's an honest reaction that's what you get uh but um apologies if i if i didn't fulfill the remit that i've imposed upon myself as well as i normally do and maybe i haven't maybe i'm worrying over nothing that would be a change worrying over nothing anyway i've got to go now i think i've probably left the oven on and will blow up the street and that will cause a chain reaction that will destroy the world not that i catastrophize and think yeah bye <laughs>